As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a dear colleague, friend, gosh, a wisdom teacher. Her name is Alyssa Snow. She and I have known each other for a couple of years now. She's a former yoga studio owner in New York City, so we have plenty to talk about. She has 27 years of corporate and entrepreneurial business experience. She has two decades of study and practice and teaching in the field of mind-body-soul therapeutics. Alyssa teaches what she lives, and she lives what she teaches. She is an incredible human with such a story. All our life experiences and circumstances, she says, happen for us, offering us constant opportunities to embody our sacred selves. This is a person who really does walk the talk, and it's a pleasure to talk to her, and I'm honored to have her here. She's an avid writer. She's a speaker. Her real purpose is to live her life in alignment with her sacred self. Who else is in for that? I know I am. She teaches others how to do the same. She is a stepmother. She is a biological mother. She is also an adoptive mother. And this is a topic about which I am very interested to talk. She's also a, a therapeutic foster mother. Okay, that's a big one. She's a trauma-informed parent. Most of her days are dedicated to her desire to raise her sensitive, and I mean sensitive, adolescent daughters to become strong and resilient women. She's a source. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I want to start with the thing that I'm most curious about and most impressed over, which is your choice to foster. Mm. Yeah. I think it's important to talk about it. I know a few couples that I love, whom I love, who are currently in the process of using a surrogate to have kids. Mm -hmm. A couple of them are in process of adoption. Mm. And it's pretty incredible, actually. So I'm interested in, in hearing about this. Walk us in a little bit to this choice of yours and take us, take us in there. Sure. Um, you know, I'm 40, I'll be 49 this month. And for as long as I can remember, I've always had this pull for motherhood. It was a pining in my 20s, not, not, you know, not the most pleasurable experience because I was very single, but there was this very strong urge to be a mom. Very sort of simple, strong. I read it to be biological, I suppose. Um, but it it grew and expanded differently when I met my husband. And in 2007, we met, he had um, a daughter from a previous marriage and he is a, a teacher of politics and he was teaching a course called service learning in third world countries. 
and he was taking kids, university kids to Kenya for um, just that service learning. And he brought me, I, I, he brought me along and got me really involved in serving children, vulnerable children in particular. We were working with um, a small organization that served children in the slums outside of Nairobi, Nairobi, um, specifically in feeding programs and social work programs to help the, the moms. And as, as we got really involved with this particular organization, we came back to the States and we were actually considering adopting a child from Kenya. And I still wanted to have a baby and be pregnant. That experience of pregnancy was important to me. And I also started to feel a pull towards um, taking in children who were in need. But then we, we kind of looked at each other and we said, well, wait a second. There are so many children in need right here in New York City. <laughs> Why would we could help? We could serve in certain ways, um, the children in Kenya. But we began to really talk about how can we serve the kids that are here. Right. And Steve, my husband, Steve, always sort of had it in his mind to be a foster parent. So he, I would say he brought it to the relationship. He brought it to the table. Like, this is something that he really wanted to do. And I thought it was beautiful and interesting. And then we had Lily. The deal was that I wanted to, I was 38 at the time and I wanted to have a baby through my body. And then once that happened, um, we would become foster parents. And we did. When Lily was one years old, we, we became licensed and we, with the intention of, you know, supporting and taking in children who needed care just love I mean I think that we went into it a little um naively for lack of a better word I mean we didn't really even know what we were getting into <laughs> really I can only imagine what kind of travails and victories you've experienced that's kind of why I was so curious to talk to you frankly yeah, you know, you just, it, I remember, I remember this moment where I, Steve and I had agreed. So we, you do this training, right? You do this, 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 this training to get licensed. And the very first thing that they say is know your own family, know what you can do, know what you can take in. At the time I had a one and a half year old child and an 11 year old stepdaughter who was with us on weekends. I also ran a yoga studio. It was um, my husband was commuting a lot, so I was on my own a fair amount, except for summers. We agreed that we could take a small baby, but no one sort of older than ten, so someone in school or an infant. In any case, I was expanding the yoga studio, and I was standing in this room talking to an architect about whether or not a ceiling can be lifted. And, and all of a sudden, I got a call, and they said, "Can you take a five-day-old infant right now?" And I, I looked around and I thought, oh, yes, yes, I can. And I hung up with her and I thought, I need to get formula and clothes. Right now. I can't have this architectural conversation right now. And diapers. <laughs> and diapers. And I posted, um, I posted a thing on the listserv in Washington Heights, New York City, which was where, where I was living at the time. And I said, oh, my gosh, you guys, I'm a new foster mom, and, and there's a five-day-old baby coming to my house. Does anybody have formula? Does anybody have clothes? Does anybody have anything? Like, they were literally bringing me a baby within two hours. And this phenomenal community was dropping off 
bags of clothes, bags of formula, bags of everything you could possibly need at the studio for us. By the next day, we had everything that we needed. Um, it's just such a fantastic community. And we had also um, the tiniest human I've ever held in my life. <laughs> and she was five days old. And she was, you know, she was precious. And this was an interesting story because one of the things that, that people say to me, and I, I think that you said this to me as well, is why don't more people foster? Why don't more people do this? And the, the common response is, I don't, I don't want to fall in love and then have to lose the child. That, that makes sense to my heart. Yeah, yeah, because your heart is involved. And when your heart is involved, sometimes things get a little messy. Um, but that was the case for this little girl. It was messy, meaning we were told that we would be able to adopt her because she was abandoned. Um, but that wasn't the case. After four months, they, they moved her into the home where her sister was. So we did, we did not get to keep that beautiful little baby. How was that for you? And we cried. It was hard. It was hard. But at the same time, at the same time, she was going to grow up with her biological sister. Yeah, which feels important. Yeah. Very important. So I think that with that experience, do you cry and does it hurt a little bit? Yes, 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 yes. But I think that also to take the aerial view and to look and see what's in the best interest of this child long term and to trust that whatever's happening is in the best interest from a soul perspective. I mean, really, it, it encourages this, this practice of uh, releasing all releasing all expectations of any particular result. And, and attachments, like in the precise meaning of the word. And it's a practice. Both my husband and I are pretty devout with our spiritual practices, and this is part of our spiritual practice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's weaved in. Yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be. And, 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 and a few months after um, that little baby moved on, we received um, Amanda in, in our home who were, we have adopted and frankly would never have been able to come to our home had we had this other child still because we only have room for one child. So you never know what's good or bad. And this particular child, I mean, I, I've adopted her or it's in process. We're almost there. And, um, I'm meant to be her mother, <laughs> you know, like, so that happened. Um, but that was a rocky road as well. And so this is, this is a, this is service of the heart. I don't know how else to say it. You know, I, I, it's, it is, it takes all of you. It's not a, it's not a part-time service gig. No. It's, it's costly in every way. And also it reaps dividends, you know, in every way. Yeah. You know, I, I, once I realized, I think I clued in <laughs> a couple of years ago when we, um, received a call for, um, my, my daughter, Amanda's a, a Chinese child. And I won't tell, I won't talk about their cases, but I will share their names. Um, she's a Chinese girl and being a Chinese child in, uh, in a white family was hard for her. 
after a while, as, as she started to get into fifth grade and started to try and figure out who she was and um, what her identity was. And she was struggling with the fact that she was the only Chinese child in the home. She was the only Chinese child in the school because we lived in uptown Manhattan. And her team, uh, legal aid team, the agency team, they all knew this. And another child came into care or was about to become into care, another Chinese child, a 10-year-old child. And the ACS, this is very uncommon, um, but ACS called me, the, the legal aid, her lawyer called us and said, can you take another child? And I was like, um, <laughs> I'd have to buy a bed. Like we don't have the basic. We've got two girls in one room. And I said, I have to buy a bed. And, um, uh, okay. You know, like it was like that. Um, it was just, was this very intuitive, close my eyes, stand at the window and just breathe and be like, is this, is this a yes? Is this a no? And it was a yes. It was a big old yes. And they, they called us even before, um, anything was arranged. They wanted, they, they, this was a sensitive case and they wanted to make sure that, that they, she had a good home and in particular, a culturally sensitive home because we had a Chinese child in the home that was exactly her age. They wanted those two together. And so went to Ikea, <laughs> bought a bed, bought a dresser, <laughs> squeezed her in the room. And you want to hear something really cool? Mm. She and Amanda were born in the same hospital three days apart. <gasps> in China. In Chinatown, in Chinatown. Oh, in, in Chinatown, in, in New York. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So, so just let me get a little bit of context for myself and for our listener. You now have two little girls of the same age in your home, both whom, both of whom were born in Chinatown and then given up for adoption. One was. One was. Tell me more. Not free for adoption. She doesn't want to be adopted. What does that mean? Can we even talk about this here? No, we can absolutely talk about it because I think it's an important thing to talk about. When when children come into care, the goal, if you will, is to reunite with the family. Fostering is not adoption. Fostering is receiving a child in crisis who has been through a trauma. Maybe it's because the parents abused them. Maybe it's because the parents couldn't caretake them. They've been through a trauma. That trauma initiated the removal from the home. That removal from the home is a second trauma. And our job as foster parents is to care for this child with love, get them the services, get them, get them in school, get them in the right school for them. Ideally the same school if the location works so they have some continuity. Get them therapy, make sure that they have good therapists, right? Um, and facilitate visits and a reconnection, reunification with the family. Now the families usually have their own work to do, whether that's parenting classes or, or um, drug uh, rehabilitation. And there's, there's so many different things that parents need to do. It depends on the case, but they have their work to do in addition to visiting with their child. They have to visit with their child. So they have their work to do. And my job as a foster parent is to hold that child in love and care and help with that process. 
sometimes the parents are unable to do their part for a variety of reasons. Wow. In Amanda's case, um, that was the case. Her mom died and um, actually, and young, just as she was about to be reunited, she was going to go back home and her mom died of cancer very quickly, very suddenly. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Is it, that's a, it's, it's quite a, a swervy story with that. What a saga. Oh gosh. It's, there's no, it's max drama. <laughs> I hate to say, I don't mean to be flippant, no, but it's, it's, it's real. Really, it's, it's really, my husband and I have to sort of laugh sometimes because the, you know, we've got two 13 year olds and a 10 year old girl living in the house and it's just, <laughs> it's drama. Yeah, but so that's so that's what and, and okay. So then a, a child comes into here. Amanda's always wanted to be adopted. That has always been something that she's wanted. Um, with 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 Amy, um, Amy was removed from her house at age ten. Um, her there's mental health issues, and she doesn't want to be adopted. She wants to. She'd leave right now if she could. <laughs> she bye bye. Love you. You're nice. Think you're cool. I gotta go back home. Um, so she, you know that, and that's so common. Imagine a child removed from their parents, removed from their family. There's no matter what sort of dysfunction is happening in that biological family of origin, child wants to be there. And most of the time, the studies say that is actually the, in the best interest of that child, the best outcomes for the children happen when they're able to reunify and the, and the community supports that reunification. But that doesn't always happen. And in fact, it, it often doesn't happen, unfortunately. Um, so with, with, the, with Amy, um, we will keep her for as long as, as she needs us to um, and take care of her until, you know, she decides, or she's old enough to decide where she wants to live. And is that age 14 or 16? How does that work exactly if she wants to choose? Yeah, around age 14, she can she can say no to adoption. Before that, they don't really have a say. Um, but at age 14, she can tell the judge, nope, I don't want to be adopted. And then it gets a little tricky um, legally, but it's 18 that she can leave. So she can't just go back to her family. Um until she's a, a legal adult, until she's 18 years old. Got it. Wow. It's quite something. Wow. 18. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, and what happens with, you know, with these, with these children is that they, they, they've got quite, quite complex trauma. And oftentimes they are um, emotionally younger than their biological age. So when they start to age out, if you will, 18, they're not they're not emotionally or psychologically necessarily 18. Um, so there's a lot of vulnerable kids. They really are. There's a lot of vulnerable kids. If I had a bigger house, dude. <laughs> I can only imagine, like, once you get started you get that phone call, hey, can you just go grab another bed because we really need the help? And then you you spring into action. It's very tempting for me right now, my God. 
it's is it what are you what are you tempted to what are you what is that no it just like seems like such a gigantic impact you can have with you know a period of time just giving someone great care i i think to myself elena what else is there for me for me I mean, I, I, I'm a teacher and I have my professional world, but the, the, they're the same, right? So at home, I'm teaching young girls how to manage their minds. I'm teaching young girls, is this a helpful thought? Is this not a helpful thought? How do you feel? What, where is your emotion in your body right now? Where, can you feel your body right now? Like, so all of these things that we do as teachers, right? And we do with, with, with adults, I'm doing with 13 year olds and it's to me, the thread is right there. Right. So for me, what is my life purpose? Well, it's dramatic, but you know, to connect with my sacred self, the highest consciousness in my body, which often means I need to manage my thoughts. I need to become really aware of my emotional experience so I can decide to how I want to react. Well, this is what these girls are learning now. At 13. There's right there is the biggest gift. If our listener, especially our listener who might actually be the parent of a teenager, catches wind of this and really feels into the fact that we have an opportunity to teach these teenagers what we should have learned. I mean, dare I say should, but could have learned as a teenager. And we're trying to absorb in our 30s and 40s and 50s, the world would be a very different place. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, but if you take an aerial view, and I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot. And um, so I will say this. The, my girls have, have had some hospitalizations in the last in the last six months because the pandemic and all that's happening in the world has really precipitated a a, a crisis um a mental health crisis and they have not been spared and um one of my girls said to me i i'm looking i'm looking at my demons she said and i i said whoa you know most Women, at least my peers, didn't start looking at their demons until their 20s and 30s. You're looking at your demons and you're 12. I said, that makes you a warrior. That makes you a master. So just wait. Just wait. Because when you're in your 20s and you're past all this, your resilience is going to be so much greater than mine was in my 20s. Gosh, maybe even more than mine is now. (laughs) I mean, you know. The way you're wording it is really beautiful for them. I think it's important for them to not feel like a victim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not to embody, you know, when you're 13 years old, there is this quest to figure out who am I? Am I a girl? Am I a boy? Am I gay? Am I straight? What is my identity? And it's very easy to slip into uh, my identity is that of a person with trauma. My identity is that of a person with mental health issues. My identity is depressed. My identity is anxious, right? So that's sort of very easy for a, a young teenager to attach to. 
kind of not on my watch. (laughs) I get that. I get that. It's really incredible. I don't have words. (laughs) I just don't have them. I often don't either. And, you know, I, I, I do want, it's not easy. No, no, it's not. And, but I, I want, I so much want to encourage people who are curious or people that feel called to lean into the idea that there's more love there than loss. Mm. So beautiful. Wow. And there's more goodness than messiness. No, can you, can you, life is messy, right? Can you, can you really put yourself all in with your heart and not have it be messy on some level? Well, let's shift gears a little bit because I feel like this is, you know, part of your wisdom teaching has just emerged where every single one of us has an opportunity to teach what we're learning now to someone who's quite a bit younger than us in a way that this younger person would understand and in a way that would really be of benefit to the world writ large. And it's, uh, it's so daunting and wonderful at the same time. The, the gear toward which I want to shift is your teaching, your, your sort of work right now. I'm smitten with how you speak and how you show up in our interactions. And I would love for you to just share with us kind of what you're working on right now, where we can find you. Our listener, I'm sure, would love to log on and see where where your work lives and what it is that you're offering. Thank you. I am a work in progress, I will say. And transitioning from being a yoga studio owner. That was a gift, the pandemic. It's a controversial gift, but my studio closed and allowed me to step into the idea that I could actually become a full-time wisdom teacher. And what does that even mean? To me, it just means that there's so much that I've learned in my life that I feel compelled to share. How do we live in alignment with our highest self all the time? Because this is what I want to do for me. Because if I'm not aligned with my highest self, I'm, I'm striving, mm. I'm grasping, yeah. I'm comparing, I'm pushing. I'm doing a whole heck of a lot of pushing. Um, I'm, I'm looking to achieve something. And I've realized that all of those quests, the achieving, the striving, the taking, the pushing. And I mean this professionally, but not even professionally. I gave birth to my daughter, Lily, after like nine IUIs and three IVFs. Dude, I wasn't giving up. (laughs) You know, like there's a part of me that's really intense and that intensity is cool, but it's not always of service to me. Right. And it doesn't always make me happy and peaceful and connected. And in the last year, 
I've done a deep dive about that, working with people one-on-one with how they wish to connect with their highest self in group programs. My community seems to want more live teachings with me, and I'm just about to put together something which I'm not sure when this will air, but in, in April, May, I'm launching what I call the School of the Sacred Self. Wow. And it will be live teachings, in-person teachings, but these are intended to help people touch base every single day, 30 minutes a day, with their sacred self. Movement, breath, nidra, standing there, feeling your body, dancing, right? Sacred sessions. It's not just yoga, but it's how can we connect more deeply with ourselves, right? Here, can we drop? Can we put down the anxiety? Can we put down the to-do list? (laughs) Can we put down all the responsibilities? Can we put down everybody's expectations, our own expectations, and just stop? Just stop. Because the more we can do this, the more access we have to this consciousness within us, And then all those things, here's the thing, then all those things we've been striving for, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they come to us with so much more ease. Totally. (laughs) And it becomes, it becomes, it's almost ironic, right? Because you're like, oh, I stopped striving for it. And then there it is. It's funny. Funny how it works, isn't it? Funny how it works. And it's a much more peaceful existence. And this is, this is my practice, prioritizing my meditation, prioritizing my writing, prioritizing uh, yoga, walking. My self-care has to happen first before anything happens, before anything. And I didn't always guard that that well. And so that's what I work with people who want to learn. Most of the women that I work with are would consider themselves on the high achieving scale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, maybe a little bit intense. I work with... Um, would love to work with women leaders and CEOs in how to co-create with God. That's, you know, how can we be in a state of receivership and stop pushing? It happened. Um, that's my work now. And it evolves. It will evolve. I don't know where it'll be next year. I know that that's what I do now. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> and then let's see what happens. Everything always evolves. I like, I, I just want to put a highlighter on the sacred self choice that you've made. You know, I, I work with people all the time and creating their uh, sort of virtual identity and creating the content and thrust of their online offerings, in-person offerings. Mm. And I, I keep finding this, that the simpler we orient ourselves toward what it is that we're offering, the easier it is to talk about it, write about it, and actually execute it. And you're a perfect example of that. Thank you. Yeah. You know where it came? It came in meditation. It came when I stopped looking for it. What am I? What am I? Remember that book? Are you my mother? Are you Totally. Of course. I was born in 1970. Exactly. And so this, this last two years has been like, are you my purpose? Are you my purpose? Mm. Are you, is this program my purpose? Is this offering my purpose? And I felt like I was chasing it, trying to find a purpose. And I wasn't a yoga studio owner anymore, right? Because that, that had been my quote unquote purpose. 
professionally speaking. And when I, I decided to drop it, dude, I was like, oh, man, this is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I'm not having any fun. And I just sat there and I went, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. And it, and it just showed up one day. Your life purpose is connecting to your sacred self. And I went, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> wow. I'm so That's proud of you. That's all, it's all I've got. I, I'm just so proud of you. It's really such fun to talk to somebody like you who's just gone for it. You know, you just went for it. I tend to do that. It's so beautiful. You know, way I'm here as Alyssa Snow for I get one lifetime as me as this person. This round. This round. I get one lifetime as Alyssa, and so cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best with it. I'm gonna show up as best I can, and 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 if I fall short, this practice. If I fall short, I'm gonna love myself just as much. Mm-hmm. I'm put my hand on my heart and go, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll try that again next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it's so easy to just bitch on ourselves, it's so easy to be so mean. And that's not. And I, I, I see that with my with my with my girls. How how those thought forms are born. I have a ten year old with ADHD, and she. This is this is this is interesting. She when the pandemic happened, her symptoms just exploded, just exploded. Online was so hard for her. She couldn't, and she, she the amount of negative redirect was getting to the point where she believed she was the bad kid. So she would say, "I'm the bad one. I'm the one who's always in trouble." I'm, and I saw the seed. I saw the seeds start to form and I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how can we prevent this seed from blossoming that she has this belief inside of her that she's bad in some way or needs to be corrected or, and it's very common. And we made a very difficult decision to, to give her ADHD medication um, to help her. And this was as a yogi, as a person who tries... <laughs> to not use pharmaceuticals, the amount of pharmaceuticals that my children are taking right now are humbling. And I've shifted gears a little bit in my mind about that and and tried to become unconditional about it and not judgmental because it completely changed my little one's experience. For the better. Oh my gosh. Yes. For the better. I'm a big fan of pharmaceuticals if they are uh, needed, beneficial, helpful. I've seen it work for so many people that I love. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I didn't know. You know, I needed to have that education for myself. I didn't know, and and I, I we did it, and I and we, and combined with therapy, and it's been magical for her. She's she's blossomed in the last couple of years, and with my other girls' challenges, they're they are medicated. Listen, I think it's wonderful. You can't, you can't argue with efficacy. No, no. And, and the, the, the medication combined with the therapy combined with, you know, home support and tools, it takes, it really does take a village with, you know, I think that it's important 
for your listeners as they're listening to this to realize that I might be the mom, but I do nothing by myself. I have a very engaged partner and each of my girls have therapists. The girls in foster care have caseworkers, have lawyers, have social workers. There are entire teams here that are supporting my family. So you're not doing anything alone, right? This is, this is a, a collaboration of really gorgeous professionals that are there for the well-being of my kids. Like, how amazing is that? <laughs> you know, I think, I think the best part, as I listen to this story and, and several others that I've, to which I've been privy, is that you take on a, I don't want to say burden, but you, you take on something that really very few people are willing to take on. I'm so relieved to hear that you feel supported by the system, at least in some small way. Um, I wasn't sure what, what that was going to turn out to be uh, for you, and that makes me really happy too. The system is, is, the system is challenged, but this, a, a broken system can be filled with heroes. <laughs> I mean, really, because the individuals that are working within this broken system, not all of them, but many that I've encountered and certainly the people that are on the team now. I mean, my daughter's legal aid attorney is, has been with her since for, for nine years. We call her the superhero. These are, these are people that are devoting their entire careers, not getting paid very much, mind you, for vulnerable children in their communities. This is why people do this. That's, if, that's, if that's not a hero, I don't know what is. No, not everybody's in it. I mean, I've encountered some, you know, professionals that that I didn't think were the brightest um, stars in the sky. But you know, it's that's that's life. I appreciate the way you said that. <laughs> Sometimes I say not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but not the brightest stars in the sky really feels much better. But isn't that life, right? You encounter all sorts of people, and you know, at the end of the day, I do feel supported. Um, and I also know how to, I've gotten better at this, but I also know how to ask for help. I also know how to say, yep, I need help. And this child needs this, this, and this. I'm the mom who's going to go and get a court order for something through the lawyers rather than just sit there and wait. Like I'm, I'm a bit of, I'm, I'm tenacious. Mm-hmm. That I know. <laughs> One of the reasons why you're here. <laughs> but you, you gotta be, you have to be tenacious when it comes to, I'm a mama bear, I'm a mama bear. I'm like that with the people that I, that I work with as well. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mama bear. I want to see people um, get a handle on their thoughts and be able to connect to the highest consciousness that they've got, because when that happens, everything, everything's going to work. Everything that's supposed to work will work. And if it doesn't work, then it wasn't supposed to work. All I could say is I, as I started, as I opened with, I'm, I'm just extremely proud, impressed inspired, thankful for the example. Um, I feel like there is uh, a real service at play here. And while it's not something that you're amplifying, I would like to amplify that this is a, a very prime, perfect example of service in action, in real time, making a difference in the world. 
And I, I really want to honor that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying yeah. that. So let's revisit your upcoming course, please. So if you'd like to find me, alyssasnow.com is the easiest way to do so. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter. I, I'm an avid writer and I, I write a lot. So there's there's a lot of writing on there if you want to get to know me there. There's a podcast that I did a few years ago that's cute. Um, but the best way to do it would just be connect with me via my newsletter. And I'm sharing all that I've got on Instagram. I am Alyssa Snow Wisdom. So you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, yeah. And so I would be so thrilled if anyone wants to meet me to check me out on my site. Is there any other sort of aspect that you would like to touch upon before we close today? Mm. It's a juicy one, but I, I would love if if folks could consider the idea of flirting with what it means to be unconditional in their life. Mm. And this is the work that I was doing with Jesse Johnson, who I met through you, by the way. She I did a few programs with her, so I'm just going to give her a shout out because she is fantastic. Well worth it. And just has, has helped me so much. And this I want to point out one thing before you go on that since you've worked with her, I didn't know this, that you were working with her closely, but since you've worked with her, it's a completely different person with whom I'm talking. There was always the service. There was always the softness, the kindness, the intentionality, but now it's like you are directional. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to hear that. Thank you. And thank you, Jesse. Um, you know, the work that she does is, is around money, but it's also about, it's about tapping into your truth <laughs> and, and loving it unconditionally. I mean, the, when I was working with her, it was a shit storm in my life. <laughs> it was a shit storm with the kids, with my parents got sick. I got sick. Everything that went wrong, quote unquote wrong, went happened. And she's like, can you love it all? I was like, oh. <laughs> hello. And that, ah! and that ended up being some of the crux of my work with her. And this is the crux of the work that I'm doing now. Can I, can I love my child unconditionally, even though she doesn't want to live with me? <laughs> can I love a program, even though it wasn't as well received as I wanted it to be? Can I, can I be in this state of peace and contentment, no matter what happens. And that's the work. I have no other words to add to that. Just amen. <laughs> that's all I've got. Amen. I hope that our listener has been, if you're listening, I hope you've been inspired by this in whatever way in which this is relevant to you in some very convoluted, perhaps and distant way. May you go forward and serve as unconditionally as this human is serving right now without need for uh, validation or recognition and give it away. And I don't mean give it away, like give it away and don't charge. I mean, give the best of yourself and create the life that you long to be having. So beautiful. Thank you, Alyssa Snow. Let's tell the folks where we can find you. It is A-L-Y-S-S-A-S-N-O-W dot com. 
And is there any special place, Alyssa, where they should be looking for the sacred self work? It'll be right on the homepage. So I try to make it obvious for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. We love that's an art form in itself, actually. <laughs> I adore and appreciate you very much. Thank you for being here. I adore you right back. Thank you so much. Always such an honor. Same. Same. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.